All right, good morning. So next week, I'm really excited about next week's lesson and not because I'm not the one teaching it, but, but we're changing things up a little bit for next week and it's going to be a, a bit of the history. And so not just Bible history, but world history, or at least Middle Eastern history, so that we can then move in, move out of Babylon into Persia and know what's, what's coming. Um, it's really going to put a lot of things into perspective for us. But what that means is you do not have homework for this week. Yay! Right? <laughs> We'll, we, <laughs> I know there's a map in our thing, and I know later I'm going to give you a different map, but I don't know if Elizabeth has a us. So, yeah. The, it is still a work in progress, ladies. Please be in prayer, because as of right now, I have 19 pages of notes. Oh, oh, oh we should be here a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the the beauty of the the three hole binder thing, and this was part of why we did it this way, was so that we could add in other other documents, and and um, in a couple more weeks we'll get a different a, a, another timeline sort of to add to your to your binder, and I'll tell you then why it is that I didn't give it to you at the beginning, but um, so. Just some exciting things coming up. Then we'll jump back into Daniel the following week uh, with Daniel 6. Uh, but, but just wanted to sort of give you the heads up of what's coming so, so that, yeah, you can get excited about it just like I am. I, I think I mentioned before I'm watching this show called the, uh, on uh, Amazon Prime called The Naked Archaeologist. Not that kind of naked. Um, but... But it's just been interesting to actually, he, he looks at things Bible-related, both, both Jewish and Christian, Bible-related from a purely historical standpoint. And it's been such a neat show to, to really see how history really falls into place with what the Bible says. So I've, I'm excited about next week's lesson. I hope that you all will be as well. But um, let's just jump in or jump back in. We're going to do Daniel chapter 5 today. That's not going to stay open for me. Look at that. We're going to take a clippy. All right. So when, when Ray and I got married, we chose a date in mid-December. Uh, December in Kentucky is cold. While a white Christmas is not unheard of, it does not happen a lot. So you can imagine our surprise as we arrived at the church with not just snow falling outside, but a significant amount of snow falling outside. And then we get inside the church, and it was a mid-afternoon wedding, and we saw several of the church trustees, they were the building uh, in charge of the facilities, the grounds, that was their um, their area of, of service. But several of the trustees are running around because the heater had gone out, the boiler had gone out. Um, 
So some people would look at these as like disasters. Here you've got people traveling 100 miles to get to our wedding that day. We picked the mid-afternoon because that would give them time to come and time to get back home. And then, then you get inside and there's no heat. And, and I was in a sleeveless dress. My bridesmaids were in sleeveless dresses. Um, and so you'd, you'd think some of these things would be disasters, but, but it actually made for really pretty pictures. Um, and and the, the heat meant, because it was a big sanctuary, and the heat meant everybody sat in the middle, kind of all clustered together. And so when we looked out, we didn't have to do this. We just had to look out and we could see everybody that we loved right there. Um, so it was just, seems like disasters, but it wasn't. It was really just a good, uh, memorable, they made things very memorable for us. But as we're going to see in Daniel 5, Babylon's King Belshazzar, he had a very memorable experience as well at a big party, but his went a little bit differently than, um, than ours did. His was, didn't quite end in the happy way that ours did. Um, but instead of starting at the beginning, I'm going to set the stage for when this passage was written. So I'm going to read us the, the end, and then we'll come back to the end. But um, starting in verse 30 of chap Daniel chapter 5, it says, That very night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And so when we look at when this chapter occurred... I didn't actually test the clicker thing, so hopefully it works. When we look at when this chapter, we talk about when this chapter occurred, we think about that very night. It says that very night is when Belshazzar was killed. And so if we look at your timeline, it's on page 33 in your handouts. And I know it's small, but... Um, if you look down there at the bottom, along the bottom, we have the kings of the Babylonian and Persian empires. And we see that, that line there of, um, at 539 BC, where Belshazzar ends and Darius the Mede slash Cyrus, we'll get into more of that later, uh, take control. So in your in your margin on your on your Bible or on your observation sheets in your handouts, you want to write 539 BC because that's that's our win. But more importantly than the year, what we're recognizing is 539 BC was the day before Babylon fell to the Persians and Medes. Over 20 years has passed since the end. Of, of Daniel chapter 4 to get to Daniel chapter 5. And what we have to remember is what happened in those 20 years is not important in the grand scheme of Daniel. Daniel wasn't writing us a book of history. His goal was not a historical record. His goal was to encourage the Jews during the exile. And so, so some of those things, we're going to see that... Um, that some of those things that have happened or, or, or what we're going to see as we read are some of the things that really didn't happen in those, in those 20 years. 
So I gave somebody Daniel 5, verses 1 through 4. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tested the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So, before we get too far into the passage, we have to ask the question, how did we get from King Nebuchadnezzar to King Belshazzar? And again, that's looking at that timeline that fits in your handouts. We see Nebuchadnezzar, and then we see all these little tiny boxes, and then we get to Belshazzar. There are, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, he died in 562 B.C., his son, uh, his son, evil Merodach, then took over before being murdered by his brother-in-law, Neraglissar, in 560 BC. So evil Merodach was there for two years. Right? Then, we have, then we have the murderer, the murdering brother-in-law, uh, Neraglissar. He was succeeded by his son, Labashi Marduk in 556, so four years. So he had two years, then four years. But Labashi Marduk was a weak ruler, and he was killed within two months of taking the throne. <coughs> so he was, he was then murdered by Nabondus. Nabondus was married to a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nabondus, he was a worshiper of the moon god Sin. So much so, he was so much a follower of the moon god Sin, and Sin itself, but the moon god Sin, that the leadership, his officials, were all concerned that, that their great god Marduk would be sort of pushed to the wayside, that he would lose his prominence as the greatest god of Babylon. So it it appears, and this part's a little fuzzy, but it appears that Nabondus was then relocated to the north. To, uh, it said 500 miles in one of the things I read, so who knows exactly how far, but a long way away from the city of Babylon. Um, and he was only given kind of token powers while his son Belshazzar was, was made the de facto king uh, starting in 553 B.C. That's why you see on your timeline Nabondus and Belshazzar at the same time. There is, is, they were sort of serving at the same time. By name, Nabondus was, was the king, but in power, in terms of power and decisions, the people listened to Belshazzar a little more. And as we see in the passage, Belshazzar is, is an a number of times it says, you know, that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, or, or 
your father Nebuchadnezzar, things like that. Um, he's called the son of Nebuchadnezzar throughout this passage, despite there being several different kings. And, and it, we have to remember 553 BC is only nine years after Nebuchadnezzar died. And so it's possible that he was an actual um, son in some way. More likely, uh, what, it, what it points to is, is him actually being a grandson. Um, but if you think about it, Jesus, a lot of times, if we just relate ourselves just strictly to Bible terms, Jesus is called the son of David. It was not as big of a, this is my, my dad, my father, the man who, who gave birth, you know, well, the mother gave birth. Did you understand what I'm saying? Wasn't the, the actual father, but was in the family line. And so we need to remember that as we're looking through the passage. Um, we'll also, um, We'll also see that that uh, some said that Nebondis was married to a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. That's how the grandchild thing would happen. Um, so it's it's possible, but um, yeah, it don't get caught up on the father son wording there. That was very typical of the time. Um, other, other background, just before we get too far again, that we will learn later in the passage is the Persian army is literally camped outside the walls of the city. They have defeated much of the empire, but not yet the city of Babylon. Um, remember last time we talked about those big gates and those, those grand walls, uh, the walls being up to 40 feet high, having that double wall system each wall well over 20 feet thick. Um, the river running through the city in order to provide water, stores of food that some say would last up to 20 years. Belshazzar wasn't worried about this Persian army out that, that was parked out front. He, he clearly wasn't worried. He was having a party. So what are some of the specific things, we jump back into our passage directly, what are some of the things that are going on? What are, what are specific things that are happening with this party? They're drinking, They're drinking wine. Who's there? The women were there, along with a thousand nobles. And yeah, they brought in the, the vessels from the temple to be used to drink from while they were worshiping their own, own idols. But this was, I hope I'm allowed to say this, you'll have to like edit it out if I'm not, but um, this was more like an orgy than just a party. All of the wives, plural, all of the concubines, plural, were at this party. He was drinking in front of the nobles, and that was not typical. Kings at this point in time, particularly Babylonian Persian kings, were, were out of the limelight in terms of feasts. They would host feasts, but they would not eat in front of people. They would not drink in front of other people. 
they weren't accessible in the same way that that uh, Hebrew and is Israelite kings uh, were available. Um, and and if you think to an extent, think about Esther with the Persian kings and and those types of things, or, or Nehemiah where he's approaching the king uh, at at different points. So so this this idea of a feast like this was far from typical. He's in full view and, and he's not just participating, but he's leading the way um, and, and drinking in front of them. All this is happening inside, inside the, the city, inside the castle, inside the throne room. Archaeologists have actually found a great hall in Babylon that would have likely been um, something that was, was for these great feasts. So where did we say the Persian army was? Just outside, knocking on those gates. So why do you think Belshazzar was throwing a party like this? So it could have been, yeah, there are lots of, there's not a wrong answer to this question, by the way, because it's, there's not a specific reason given. Um, but yeah, it could have been to celebrate Bel, the, the god that, that he was named after. I just thought of that thinking he's arrogant. He could and he did. Yeah, he thought that the city was impenetrable. And so he was arrogant and he, yeah. Uh, he might have been doing it to build morale, just to encourage the nobles. Yeah, they're out there, but we're strong in here. Um, by this point in time, much of the rest of the Babylonian Empire had been defeated already. And remember, where was his father, Nabonidus? 500 miles away, or up to 500 miles away probably on the outskirts of the empire. Persia comes in, they're going to wipe him out. So it's even possible that his son could have been celebrating that he was now the one and only king, uh, sort of a coronation type of, uh, of an affair. Um, and, and then it was, it was possible it was just the, the regular feast of Baal who to, in order to bring a sense of normalcy to the kingdom when the, with the chaos outside the walls. But it, any, either way, he's clearly not taking the threat of the Persian army seriously. And when I say Persian army, it's Medo-Persian, by the way. It's just easier to say Persian every time. So, um, but at a party like this, just getting drunk and experiencing sexual immorality was not enough for Belshazzar. Normally, superstition would have prevented a king from using the vessels of another god in such a way. So, likely, drunkenness played a part in, uh, in Belshazzar's decision. But, who knows? I mean, his name literally meant... Bel, the god, protect the king. Um, 
but he had no fear of the Persians outside or the God of heaven, whose vessels he was using, that was inside the very room with him. He wanted to show off how much better the Babylonian gods were than any other god of any other foreign nation, including the big G god. And we see that, that either Belshazzar did not know or more likely has, has forgotten or disregarded, disregarded the decree of King Nebuchadnezzar concerning the Hebrew god. Um, if, if you look back, we've, if you've been keeping your list um, on page 26 of the names of God, the attributes of God, you see all sorts of things that Belshazzar should have known. The God of, God of heaven, the, the God most, most high God, the God who reveals, all those things, but Belshazzar doesn't think about those things at this point in time. Uh, so Isaiah 47 was written prior to 700 BC. It was more than 150 years before the events of this night that we're reading about. Um, but it's a prophecy concerning Babylon. And I gave somebody Isaiah 47, 10 through 11. You felt secure in your wickedness. No one sees you, you said, but your wisdom and knowledge have led you astray. And you said, I am the only one and there is no other. So disaster will overtake you and you won't be able to charm it away. Calamity will fall upon you and you won't be able to buy your way out. A catastrophe will strike you suddenly one for which you are not prepared. Now, if you want to, since you don't have Daniel homework, you want to read a little more, um, I, read all of Isaiah 47 or Jeremiah 50 and 51. These are all prophecies, biblical prophecies concerning the cities of Babylon. There's another one, but I can't remember and I didn't write it down. So Isaiah 47 and then Jeremiah 50 and 51. I'm pretty sure those are right. If those aren't the right ones, I will, I will That's right. send. Okay. Yeah. But the, um, we had looked at, I think it was a little bit of Jeremiah 50 at the very beginning of our study. And so that's why I picked the Isaiah 47. But all, all three of those chapters will, will tell you what God has planned for Babylon. And so we remember God had all of this planned for Israel, but now he has all of this pre-planned for Babylon as well. Um, so Isaiah, he tells us what's coming. He's saying that the wicked will fall. And while he did not clear, declare the way it would happen, he is clear on the outcome. He is, he is clear that disaster will strike when they don't expect it. And so we see this start to come to pass as we continue to read Daniel chapter 5. And so I gave somebody Daniel 5, 5 through 9. Immediately the fingers of the human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and shows me its interpretation, 
shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. And so here we are at the height of Belshazzar's blasphemy and the height of his drunkenness and his immorality. And I love it. It says immediately. Right. If you're if you're marking time phrases with the little clock, mine has a, a green circle with little hands in the middle. Immediately. God acted. Um, and, and the fingers of a hand appear and write something on the wall. This would have been an awesome and miraculous sight. Uh, Dr. Dr. Daniel Aiken says the same fingers that wrote the Ten Commandments for the Hebrew people now confront the blasphemous Belshazzar with his sins and imminent judgment. Did you ever think about it that way? The same hand that wrote the Ten Commandments. Moses didn't write the Ten Commandments. God wrote the Ten Commandments on those tablets. The same hand is now writing to King Belshazzar in the midst of his blasphemy. Can you imagine God's wrath? Yeah, imagine God's wrath. Right. Those, and if you if you look back in um, a lot of Leviticus. And, and um, you'll, you'll see just the way those vessels are supposed to be honored and treated. And, and here, it's far from it, right? And so this, this is a sign of God's wrath. This is a sign of God's judgment. Um, how did the king respond? What are the things that happened to the king? It's there in verse 6. Yeah, six. Color changed. Color changed. Someone who's been drinking generally has flushed cheeks, right? But the king becomes very pale all of a sudden. Okay, what else? He was greatly alarmed. Greatly alarmed. You think about alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. It would have slowed his thought processes. But then you think about something that's alarming. What's happening to your mind? It's racing. All those things are just racing through your head, right? When you're alarmed, it's the opposite effect of what alcohol will do to you. What else does it say? Knees were knocking together. You ever had that happen? It's extreme panic, right? And it says, yeah, it says his limbs gave way. Literally, when you look up the literal translation of the limbs gave way, it's the joints of his loins were loosed. There is a good chance that he lost control of more than just his ability to stand. A very good chance. And he didn't understand any of it. Right. His confidence and his arrogance have completely disappeared. And so, 
Who are you going to call? <laughs> right. It's not the Ghostbusters, but who is it? The enchanters, the wise men, the, the astrologers. His, he called on his religion, right? And for the third time already in this book, they are called for and they are found to be completely useless. Despite these offers of gifts and of powers, they couldn't even read the words. And so... Like usual, I forgot to do that. But here's, here's what they would have looked like in, um, in Aramaic. This is, this is what the letters would look like. Because um, we think about why couldn't they read what this was? If it was written in Aramaic, why couldn't they have... They, they would have known how to read. These were, these, they had gone through all the special training, that same special training that Daniel had gone through. Um, so it's entirely possible that God simply just blocked the ability of the king and the wise men and the nobles to be able to see it. Completely possible. Um, and so I'm, for those of you who are on the video, we're going to try to get these slides in there for you to see sort of what's going on, but um, my apologies if it doesn't work out. But, but here's sort of some other ideas just to give you an idea of what may have been going on. Um, it's believed that, that it was God writing the words, right, or because it was God writing the words. And even though when Daniel says the words, he says them in Aramaic, it's believed that, that he, being God, would have written them in the Hebrew format. The Hebrew format is what goes up and down instead of and so instead of reading across the page they read up and down on the page they also read from right to left I have to I, I'm looking at you all and I'm trying to <laughs> I, I did it great when I practiced it at home in front of my computer so so it's possible that that's what he wrote and so if we do a um, just this is this would be a, a what's called a transliteration. This is putting the um, English sounds to the Aramaic characters. Hebrew and Aramaic did not include vowels. They didn't, have, didn't always have vowel markings. Uh, it, it, the ancient Hebrew did not. Um, and so it may not have been extremely easy to see what it is that, that was meant, what they meant. Um, so this is sort of what they would have been looking at. And if you have no idea what it's supposed to be saying, let alone what it's supposed to be meaning, you may not be able to, to quite grasp this. So as an example, hopefully I put them in the right order. So this is just a, a simplified example. I did not make it go from right to left. I went left to right just to make it a little easier. But this is, this is a phrase. This is not a list of words. So that means they connect a little better. Um, 
because the writing on the wall was not a sentence. It was just a list of four words. But don't say it if you know what this is. But think about if you can figure out what phrase it is that I have tried to put on, on, this, um, on this slide. Right? For God so loved the world. Now that you know what it says, you can sort of put it together. Oh, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But if you have no context whatsoever, even if God obscured the, the wise men, the, the enchanters, the astrologers from being able to, to see what it was, it still could have been extremely challenging for them to see it. Um, Morgan? Yes. The, um, the location would have been, that's a very good question. The location would have been sort of, um, there's the king's throne up here, and then it would have been where he could plainly see what was happening. So it would have been, yeah, would have been sort of directly across from him in a place where, I mean, you've got a thousand plus people in this room, but it's still a place where it wasn't surrounded by um, a huge crowd of people that would be blocking it. It was in a prominent place so that everybody could see what was what was actually happening. Yeah, good question. And do you think everybody saw the Because the scripture says the king saw. The king would have seen, he would not have been alone in seeing, but not necessarily been seen by all 1,000 people. of the others to understand what was written, he very certainly could have blocked Absolutely. To yeah. He, physically see the hand. He could, have, he could have easily blocked the hand from being seen by everybody but the king. Um, and, and it's possible that he did, although they continue to talk about it, and they don't seem to think that the king is just crazy, so likely there would have been a few others at least that would have seen it. It was intended for the king to see. The location in the room was such that the king would definitely see it. The, uh, yeah, so it's... But I'm thinking of all these other thousands of people out there watching the king just slowly decompose. What's going on? Well, it wasn't slowly. It was immediately. Well, immediately, but just but, watching him. Right. And what's, what's going through their minds? What is happening? But they were yeah. so involved in the party, they probably had no clue. They were probably just as drunk. They were still, yeah, they were still there being drunk. They were, people, would you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could have been the case too. But yeah, they would have been, um, they would have noticed and they did notice that something was wrong with the king. But they wouldn't necessarily have uh, cared immediately the way the king cared immediately. Um, uh, Warren Wearsby says, the time had come when political authority, wealth, power, and human wisdom could do nothing to solve the problem. 
Once again, the Lord had exposed the ignorance of the world and the futility of human power to discover and explain the mind and will of God. But have no fear, Supermom is here, right? So when we read uh, Daniel 5, 10 through 12, somebody has that one, I think. So, who came in? The queen. Now, it says the queen. Queen mother would have been more uh, a, a more appropriate term um, because we saw in which verse was it that all the wives were there in verse 3? All his plural wives were already in the room. So, that's why queen mother would have been a, an appropriate answer. And that's... This is who people think was the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar at this point, um, which would be kind of why he, she would be a little more aware of what had happened um, previously. So, so uh, and if you look in a, a lot of Bibles, there's actually a footnote that'll tell you queen, queen mother, type of thing. So this isn't just me making something up. Um, so here we sit, 20 plus years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's been sitting forgotten for, for most of those 20 years, but not completely forgotten. The queen mother was optimistic and she was knowledgeable of the past. So she heard what was going on, came into the feast and said, here's who can help you. Um, we're going to see down in, in verse 22 that Belshazzar did know some of the aspects of the dreams and of Daniel's abilities and God's power in it, but maybe he didn't believe it. Maybe he just didn't remember it. Either way, it was showing a lack of intelligence on the part of Belshazzar. And so how does the queen mother describe Daniel? What are some of the things she says? An excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. light and understanding and wisdom and and it says like the wisdom of the gods right that was a big big praise of of him in their terms well in that first sentence she basically says he was indwelled by the holy spirit yeah she says you know in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and so in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and if you're keeping your list of things about daniel that's something that would have already been on your list as well um i think it's well i know it's in in daniel 4 but i think it's also in 
in Daniel 2, but I may be wrong. And then that he was, he was made chief, um, chief wise man under King Nebuchadnezzar, that he had the knowledge and understanding to, um, how, how she say it, to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. That gives... Why was he not called first in Daniel 4? In Daniel 5. Right, but in Daniel 4, he wasn't called first either. Yeah, why? Yeah, right, and so, so we talked a little bit about um, in Daniel chapter 4 that he may have been just there to do the higher level problems. Um, in, at this point, if we think about it, we're to, we're to what year? When did we say? 539 BC, how old is Daniel at this point in time? Around 80. Yeah, so likely, and I, I likely, uh, well, let me put it this way. Life expectancy at this point in time, 35 years. So here he's 80. Now, part of the life expectancy issue was, was uh, clean water, lack of, of good foods, things like that. So being in the city of Babylon would have helped that extensively. But um, still, by any account, he's an old man at this point, 80 years old. So he was probably, um, probably semi-retired, at least. But being going through four kings, he would have, uh, they like to bring in their own people who are loyal to them. Clearly, Belshazzar is not fond of the Hebrew God, so he would probably not be fond of the Hebrew exiles to be in positions of power. And so he probably just sort of pushed and if it wasn't just him, it could have been those ones before him as well, probably just sort of pushed him to the wayside in, in large part and had sort of left him behind. And Daniel probably didn't mind, you know. I'm 80 years old. I don't need to go and have that much stress in my life, right? I'm 40 years old, and I don't need that kind of stress in my life. <laughs> I think back when I was eight, I was determined I was going to be the president of the United States. I look at that now and I'm like, what was I thinking? Oh my word. I don't need that stress. So anyway, um, yeah. So all those things probably contribute to why he didn't have Daniel as one of the, the wise men, didn't think about Daniel. He had probably been when Nebuchadnezzar died, he had probably sort of been just pushed to the wayside and, and forgotten. Yeah, he was no longer the chief. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he was no longer the chief at that point in time. So Queen Mother says, call in Daniel. Daniel can save the day. 
And so then we get to, this one's the longer passage, um, Daniel 5, 13 through 23. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was like made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules, and the kingdom that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom He will. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of His house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Yeah. So here comes Daniel. And Daniel, just like in previous chapters, right? He, he, um, he has not changed. His ways have not changed. A couple of things to notice. He calls Daniel by his Hebrew name, right? The mother gave both names. She, he calls Daniel by his, by his Hebrew name, but then he also, um, he also says one of the exiles of Judah. And, and by saying that, it, it was meant to intimidate Daniel. So it was an, even though I'm using your, your Hebrew name, you're still just a lowly exile. Um, but, but all this time has passed since King Nebuchadnezzar died four kings but Daniel is given the same off offer that was given to the other wise men and how did Daniel respond to the king's offer he didn't want it, he didn't want it. 
and why do you think he responded the way he did? Uh, royalty, riches, yeah, there were actually laws in um, the Roman times, so slightly later, where if you were caught wearing blue or purple, that that you could be, it, it was against the law, unless you were in authority, government power. So it was a, it was a sign of power. Yeah, it, a bribe, kind of as a bribe. Right. So really, what can you Yeah. Yeah. Daniel knew what the writing on the wall said. But I don't think he wanted. I don't think he wanted. Right. Daniel went with respect, and he went with honesty. Just like he did every time he talked to Nebuchadnezzar, he went the same way. He was honest. He was humble. He was respectful. He had no need for the robe or the high position, or the, wasn't this one, the, the chain of gold? Just um, money, yeah. But, but Daniel, um, Daniel didn't, didn't need those things, but he was still willing to help the king. Uh, Warren Wearsby says, even if we don't respect the officer and the way he or she lives, we must respect the office. For the powers that be are ordained by God. Think about that today. Yeah. Yes. Daniel is doing the same thing that we are, we are living today. So I'm going to read that one more time for you. Even if we don't respect the officer and the way he or she lives, we must respect the office. For the powers that be are ordained by God. Daniel knew that. Daniel knew, and, and I'm really excited about what's coming. I am not normally excited about prophecy, but let me tell you, Daniel has got me excited about prophecy. And, and I'm, yeah, future books, when he starts looking at, looking back at what God has, or future chapters, he looks back at the writings of God and he says, God, you're going to do something to to bring us back, it's good stuff. Good stuff's coming, I promise. Um, but, but Daniel knew that God was in control, but that God ordained that King Belshazzar would be where he was at that time because God is sovereign. But Daniel still, he's, he's respectful, he's humble, he's honest but he still takes the opportunity to preach just a little bit, right? He reminds the king and all the people who are present of the power of God and, and tells them, gives them like the history lesson of what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and what Nebuchadnezzar had to go through in order to learn that God was the most high God and that God was the Lord of heaven and that God, it was God in whose hand is your breath. And I like how he kind of brought the good news first. 
Right. Yeah. He, he brought the good news first. And so uh, based on the Babylonian historical records, uh, Belshazzar was an officer of Babylon during the reign of, of King Neraglassar. If you look back at your timeline, that was 560 BC. And therefore he would, he would have had to have been old enough to, to have lived through the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, um, and, but not only old enough to have lived through it, but old enough to have remembered it. He wasn't a toddler during this event. Um, he, he, would have, he would have lived it. Everybody would have known what was happening. Um, and then, um, so, so Daniel has the king's attention. And just like he had with King Nebuchadnezzar, he took the opportunity to tell Belshazzar about all the things God could do and had done and why God was acting at this time. All before he actually answers the question of the king. Now think for just a minute to, to Esther. And I know we go to Esther a lot, but that's because we see the interactions with the king. It's one that we can, we can relate to. Remember why Esther was so hesitant to go into the king? Because the king, she wasn't invited. The king had to hold out a scepter to actually allow her to speak. And if he took that scepter away, she was dead, right? So here Daniel goes in. He goes to answer the king's question about that writing that's on the wall but he doesn't immediately answer the question. He trusts God in such a way that he's like, God, I'm going to bring you glory first. And then I'm going to answer the question and bring you glory again. And so it, he, um, he hasn't answered the question, but he has still told Belshazzar who he should be listening to. And then we have Daniel 5, 24 through 28. I have no idea. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Okay. Mimi, Mimi, Tekel, and Parsi? Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> of the matter. Mimi, God has numbered the days of the kingdom and brought it to an end. People, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Herod, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So finally, Daniel reveals what's been written on the wall. So I'm going to show you a chart here on the screen. Um, this is to show you the words, but also their meanings, which is another reason why it would have needed interpretation. So even if, even if those wise men could read the words, knowing and understanding what they meant was a bit of a different thing. Um, this chart I borrowed from someone else, but it had all the information that I wanted to include, so I didn't really borrow it. I stole it. But, um, but it... It looks prettier than I could have done. I'm not the, you saw my white just letters with black letters going down, right? This is pr 
prettier. So, mine, um, I don't know how you say it exactly, but it, it, as a verb, it means to number, but as a noun, it's a unit of measurement. It's a measurement of weight. About 60 gold shekels is, is the, how much it weighs. Um, tekel, as a noun, it means a shekel. Um, one piece of gold, one sixtieth of the mine. But as a verb, it means to be weighed or to balance. Um, the person is the plural of, of Paris, which is why I have both on that chart. Um, Paris as a noun means a half a mina, a unit of measure. It can also mean, um, mean Persia, or it can re refer to Persia. But as a verb, it means to break apart, to divide, to split up. So even if the wise men could have figured out which words were on the wall, they would have had a hard time making sense of them. It wasn't abundantly clear. If I just put words on the wall, that's why I picked a phrase with our example instead of just words. Trying to put context with something, when you're already having some trouble reading it, it can be a challenge. But, but Daniel tells the king the harsh reality of what is to come because he was able to interpret what God meant by those words. And I'm going to reread re verses 26 through 28. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Just as a clarification, when Daniel says the kingdom is divided, he isn't saying it'll be split into two pieces so that the Persians have one, the Medes have another. Um, he, he is saying it will be destroyed, it will be dissolved. The Babylonian empire is, is destroyed. Um, all those pieces become part of the Medo-Persian empire. So in other words, God is closing the book on, on King Belshazzar and God is closing the book on the Babylonian Empire. And so then I gave somebody um, Daniel 5, 29 through 31. And Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So, King Belshazzar hears the bad news, but he doesn't just say, off with his head, I don't like what he said. He's at least smart enough to listen and still give Daniel what he promised, despite the dire consequences of the statement. Um, that very night, Belshazzar was killed when the Persian army overtook the city and Darius the Mede became the king. We'll talk more about the Darius Cyrus thing in the coming weeks. 
Um, but the, the army did not go over those walls. They didn't go through the gates. The army actually drained part of the river that flowed through the city and, and waded in under the walls where the water was. Um, the walls and the preparation that the Babylonians thought was protecting them was nothing compared to the hand of the Almighty God. God followed through with the warning that was written on the wall. And so that closes our, our chapters on the Babylonian Empire. We're going to pick up next week, like I said, with the, with the history. Um, so you can pray for Elizabeth this week as she finishes that preparation. And then we will start back with, with Daniel chapter 6 in the Medo-Persian Empire and what Daniel's role is there in, in a, two weeks.